All right. Well, family, thanks for inviting me on. Everybody can hear me okay? Great. So we're, we're going to be studying this evening, and I'm just, I'm just privileged to be able to do this with you guys. Uh, today's actually been a very interesting and tough day for, for me personally. A friend of mine passed away today around 2 o'clock. Uh, was one of my students, and uh, not just one of my students, but actually one of, became one of my friends. And we went through quite a bit together. And yeah, today uh, has been very interesting. And I had to wrestle with a couple of things because I don't know if when you deal with death, you know, we weren't designed to really understand death because we were built to live forever. Okay. And God designed us, He designed us to live forever. So to understand death, to cope with death, that's not something God really wanted us to understand. But in my mind, I, I was comforted with the idea that my friend had committed himself to God. And knowing that, I can rest assured that as I'm faithful and God is faithful to me, I will see my brother again uh, very, very soon. Uh, I will, I'm reminded of a quote where it says, it's a solemn thing to die, but a much more solemn thing to live. And I think in the times in which we live, we're living in tremendous, tremendous times. And so tonight, as I'm studying with you, I want you to take principles away that will empower you to live a life full of vitality for God. And I know that we all go through struggles. I know we all go through our own uh, 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 pains. But I believe tonight, as we walk through this thing, I believe many of us are going to find some healing. I know for me, as I was preparing for it, I began to see some, some healing in my own heart. So I'm, I'm grateful to God that he would allow for us to be able to study and come together uh, this evening. Tonight's topic is fight. Fight. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like fighting. You know, some people like fighting. I mean, they've made a whole career out of fighting. And I'm going to show you how to fight as a Christian tonight in a way that you may or may not already know. But our fight is different. It's not an MMA fight. It's not sword fighting. It's not karate. It's not Taekwondo. It's not even verbal spats about political agendas or the left versus the right or my church against your church. That's not our fight. Our fight is unique. And if you don't mind, you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read verse 3, 4, and 5. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, we're going to read verses 3, 4, and 5. But we're defining the fight, and then we're going to go to an Old Testament story that you should be very familiar with. So I won't spend every detail of going through every point, but I want to make sure we get to the main thing for tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 3, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, what's it say, my friends, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So our warfare, our fight is not a carnal fight. Our warfare, our fight is not a political battle. Our warfare, our fight is not somewhere in a ring, my friends. In fact, I'll tell you this. Our fight is not even with our spouse. It's not even with our roommates. Our spouse, our, 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 our war, our fight, more so than anything else, you'll find that it's with yourself. But before we go any further with that, let's go to an old story. I know you know this story. It's going to be a story that you're very familiar with. Uh, I know people have talked about it even recently in one of these beautiful Bible studies, but I want to make sure we go back and pay attention. So let's go forward in our study. And I want us to look at Genesis chapter 25, and we're looking at verse 19. Now, normally I don't have little small words on the screen like this, but I just, for, for purposes for tonight, I didn't want to be flipping too many pages uh, per se, but let's just walk through what we have here. Genesis chapter 25, there is a story about two young boys. 
Read in Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, it says, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. So his wife was not able to have a child, okay? So there is an entreatment. God is now interceding for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now pay attention. She conceived. And the children struggled together within her. So please get that in, in your minds. So this struggle that these children are having is from the very womb, brothers and sisters. And she said, if this be so, why am I thus? And notice what she does when she doesn't understand what's going on. She goes to the Lord and the Bible says, and she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other. Now, I, I find that to be interesting. The one people shall be stronger than the other. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now, please note, as, as Rebecca is listening to the words of the Lord, and she's imbibing these words into her mind, she's taking note of what God has promised and has declared. God has declared to her that the oldest will serve the younger. You follow? So watch this now. Genesis 25 verse 4. Oh, oh, oh. before I go, go with that, go back for a second. So we're doing a little study. Do you notice that God did not tell this to Isaac? God told this to Rebecca. Now, I'm not saying Rebecca didn't tell her husband. I'm just saying that this special insight was given to the mother and not necessarily directly to Isaac. All right. I just found that to be interesting. Now watch this. It says in verse chapter 25, verse four. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Now, Again, when you're looking at the word Esau or Edom, it just simply means red. This is a red-haired child with a lot of hair. Verse 26, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Now, please, there are always these names relevancy to these things. Now, when, when I say a name, I want you to type it in the chat. I'm going to see what you say. If you could type it in the chat or if you're on Facebook, I want to see what you say about this. When I say the name Michael Jordan, what comes to your mind? Is he the second best player in the world? He's the greatest basketball player in the world. When I say Michael Jordan, what comes to your mind? Just type it in the chat. I want to see what you have to say. What, is, what do you have to say? All right. All right. When I say the name, now this is California. So when I say Kobe Bryant, you know, what do you think? Hmm? Uh, so when I, when I say a name, a character comes to mind. Are you, are you following me? If I said, and forgive me for bringing up this name on Sabbath, but even if I said Kim Kardashian, you would, uh, immediately a person comes to mind, a character trait comes to mind when I say the name. Are you following? All right. So when I say the name Jacob, Jacob means heel grabber or supplanter. That's what that name means. Can you imagine having a name like that? You're walking around. I say your name's Jacob. Immediately somebody's like, that's a heel grabber. That's a supplanter. See, that, that would be a problem to have a name like that. But that was his name. Now watch verse 28 because this becomes instructive. It says, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. <laughs> I find that interesting. It's, he found a way to his dad's heart because of food. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You know, a, a way to a man's heart is through his belly. That's what they say. 
he did eat venison, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Please note, Rebecca loves Jacob. God told her the second born child would be the one that receives the special blessings from above. Now watch, you have your Bible, open it up. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. I think that's where I want to go. Genesis chapter 26, I want you to take note of the progression of this story. You're very familiar with it. I'm not telling you anything new as yet, but I want you to see something here. So in Genesis chapter 26, and I want to say verse number, yes, no, yeah, Genesis chapter 27, verse Verse one, here we go. Now watch the story. In Genesis chapter 27 and verse one. So in chapter 26, we know about Esau and Jacob. Esau sells his birthright for a pot of lentils, okay? I love lentils, but I'm not sure if I wanna give birthright away for, for some lentils. But he gave away his birthright for some lentils, right? More food. Chapter 27, verse one, pay attention, brothers and sisters. It says, and it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, my son. And he said unto him, behold, here am I. And he said, behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow, and go into the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now watch verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Now, I want you to think like Rebekah's thinking. Rebekah's thinking, God has promised Jacob, the birthright and the blessing. So I'm about to help God out. This is what she says. I'm about to help God out. Now, brothers and sisters, I know for sure in my life, God has promised me many things. And I know that in my, my imperfection, in my impatience, I have tried to help God out. But let me tell you right now, God does not need your ideas and your help to fulfill his promise and his blessing in your life. Let me, let me pause. I need you to make sure you write that down. God does not need your help with your ideas and your modality of an execution of his plan to fulfill what he has promised in your life. Think about this. Judas wanted to help God out, help him become king faster. And he sells God out thinking that God's going to do some magic trick to get out of going to the cross. God does not need our ideas and he doesn't need our help. And I tell you, there are many right now who think they're helping God by siding with Republicans or siding with Democrats in these last days. God does not need your help. I'm sorry, you are messing up the plan. God has a specific plan in these last days for his people to walk in. And when we don't understand his plan and when we don't appreciate our birthright, we will sell ourselves short when God is trying to put us in a position and a place of influence and power. God does not need our help. Please hear me. The only help he needs is that you cooperate with his plan. Don't try to rewrite what he's already put in. Because right now, brothers and sisters, there are souls dying all around us. And they're dying not because we didn't have the right political agenda. They're dying because they don't know Jesus. They're, they're not dying because you didn't march with the Black Lives Matter movement. They're not dying because you want to stand on the religious right. They're not dying for that reason. They're dying because they don't know the Lord. And they're dying in their sins. We have traded in the gospel for some lentils. Remember, I told you I like lentils. 
but they're not worth trading in my birthright for. So here he is. Here's the mom. She's 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 gonna help God right now. So they come up with this plan. Son, go get the the, the lamb from the field and uh bring it so I can make because she Jacob's not making it. Mom's about to make the meal. <laughs> Mom's gonna make it just the way daddy likes it. So mom makes the meal, puts the son on the son's like, but I, I'm I'm not hairy, I'm all smooth and everything's smooth on me. Don't worry about that, son. We're going to get some animals. We're going to make you smell like the field. We're going to help God out. Mercy. God don't need our help. Notice verse number verse number six. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. According to that which I command thee, mercy, go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. Now, without me reading the entirety of the rest of that part of the story, I want you to just contemplate what's happening here. Here, there are two people who are trying to help God bring a blessing on themselves by deception. Anybody following that? They want the blessing from God, but they're using deception to receive the blessing. And in my mind, as I'm reading the story, I'm thinking, well, God sees what's going on. Why wouldn't he just say, you know, like tell Isaac, because Isaac is a prophet. Why would he just drop it on Isaac's mind and say, they're deceiving you, my, my son? Why wouldn't God just stop it? And in fact, in my mind, I'm just, as you read the story, you know that Jacob actually goes in. The father's feeling a little curious because the sound sounds like Jacob. But as he tells him to come closer and he kisses him, and he touches him, he feels, okay, this is actually Esau. Taste the food. He's like, yeah, this is definitely Esau. I'm thinking in my mind, well, if this is going on and he places his hand to bless Jacob, just because he blesses him, you know, um, to bless, uh, to bless, uh, uh, just because Isaac blesses Jacob doesn't mean that the blessing has to actually go on Jacob. You know what I mean? Like God could have just stopped it. Like why would the blessing still go through after clearly God sees this man is lying and the mom lied? Are you, are you following? So, so in my mind, I'm, I'm processing the story because at the end of the day, God's going to fulfill in the life of his children what he wants to happen. And if, if they had not lied, the blessing somehow still would have come. But because they lied, listen to me, though the blessing was transferred legally in that moment in time, it was not fully experienced till later. Listen to me. It was not fully experienced because I'm looking at the stories like, how could it still go through? Watch the story. So you jump down in the story. You go through. He blesses him. Now, this, this begins to get deep because I, Esau really doesn't want the blessing in the first place, but he wants the blessing because he knows there's money involved. So he goes here. And let me go down here because God blesses. I mean, we got to read the blessing. Okay. Yeah, let's go to the blessing. Verse 26. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now. Kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of the raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee. Watch the blessing. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made it in the blessing, Jacob, Jacob was yet scarce gone out. 
from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Watch. And he also made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that my soul may bless me, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I've eaten all, and I have eaten all before thou camest, and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. Now, for a moment again, I just want to I want to pause for a moment. I'm quite sure that Rebecca has already talked to Isaac that God told her that the second one was going to be the firstborn. I mean, going to be the one that's blessed. All right, pausing and thinking. Then I'm thinking, okay, when the Bible highlights that Isaac could not see physically. It's also illustrative of his spiritual blindness to know who God was going to bless in the first place. You follow? So Isaac could not see already. He Physically, he could not see. This becomes instructive of his spiritual sight because if he was paying attention and tuned in, he would know who he was supposed to bless. It's always interesting, family family matters. I don't know if you have family members. Um, family is not always the best. I don't know if you, you had to deal with family. They, being betrayed within family is, is a horrible concept. Esau is so mad. He wants to kill his brother. He doesn't just want to have a conversation and a corrective, instructive you know, emotional outlet so that we can be on the same. He wants his brother dead. This is an unstable family. You, you, are you following what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're walking from the struggle that began in the womb. It's now manifested in the, the relationship within the family. The mom is lying to the dad, teaching the son how to lie and steal from his brother. Come on now. This is a crazy family. This is deep. You got issues. You think you got issues? This, some issues. <laughs> Mercy. So he, now watch what happens. Watch, watch what happens as Esau is going through this because he's, he rightly so, he's upset. But at the same time, he's not upset for the real, real reason. And it goes on, it says, verse 34 And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with great, exceeding bitter cry. And said unto his father, bless me, even so also, O my father. And he said, thy brother came with subtility and have taken away thy blessing. What did he come with? Subtility. That same word is used very similarly to the, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, right? Your brother came with subtility. The same behavior of the devil. Again, you cannot truly receive the blessing of God by using satanic means. But that's what he used. And he said, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he have supplanted me these two times. Is he not rightly named Jacob? Pay attention. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he have taken away my blessing. Mm. And he said, has thou not reserved the blessing for me? So, of course, he blesses him, but watch, listen to the verbiage of the blessing, because, again, it becomes instructive. And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I made, thy, made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be with the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. This is the blessing, right? And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. That's, this is the blessing. 
And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dom the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. I find this to be interesting. When you, are, when you have come to full power, you will break his yoke from off thy neck. What does that mean? Verse 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at an end. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. All right. So let's, let's just do a review so we can follow along here. Starts out with a struggle in the womb. God promises Rebecca. That's what Rebecca, this child right here, the second one, he's going to be the ruler over the first one. She's like, I got that. I got you. I got you, Lord. I'm going to help you out. She does all this conniving, tricks the dad. Mind you also, Esau hates his birthright because it comes with, the birthright comes with spiritual responsibility. He didn't want none of that. He was a worldly person. He didn't want no spiritual responsibility. So he sold his birthright to his brother. Then the blessing is taken from him of the wealth and the prosperity and the rulership. and domain. He, he's, he's losing out on everything, and he wants to kill his brother. His brother now has to flee. If you read the rest of the chapter, he has to hide. He has to go and hide. Now, I want to tell you this before because time is going to leave me, and I, and I can't go over every detail of the story which would probably be for a whole nother series, right? But in this, I want you to know that when Jacob leaves home, he never sees his father again, and he never sees his mother again. Listen, he never sees his father again, and he never sees his mother again. There are consequences to the choices that we make when we step outside of what God says we should do. It doesn't mean he hates us. It doesn't mean he's kind of trying to, he's trying to be upset and angry. There are just consequences. Does he have the birthright? Is it still his? Yes, it's still his. But there are sometimes brothers and sisters, we put ourselves in situations where we have to, to take responsibility for the wrong that we have done. And now, can you imagine? Now, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you this. Of all the temptations the devil has for us, it's the burden of guilt that he lays upon us for the sins that we have done that causes us to separate from the Most High and no longer trust him. This is his, to me, his number one weapon. Can he make you feel so guilty for your sins that you stop trusting the Lord? And I don't know who's listening. I have no idea who you are. I don't know where this is going to go. It's being recorded. It's being broadcast. So somebody's going to hear this. So some of somebody who's listening right now is practicing fornication. Somebody's listening right now has a struggle with alcohol. Somebody right now has a struggle with stealing, bearing false witness, committing adultery. Somebody listening right now has this problem and the devil is doing everything in his power to crush you with guilt. Everything. And he's doing a good job. I mean, it's powerful. I want you to think about this. You know, some of us don't like to pray. And you're listening. If you're listening to this right now, the very act of you listening to a Bible study is a divine act of God. That means you're not far gone. You may think you're far gone, but can you imagine God has orchestrated this moment in time using technology in this manner so you can hear God speak to your heart to say, you know what, Father? I have done wrong. I have violated my conscience. I am doing things that break your heart. I have broken my family up. And God still ain't leave you. Y'all not hear nothing I'm saying. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God has not left you no matter what you have done. He's still there. He's still pleading. He's still begging. He's still interceding for you. His covenant towards you is still available, my friends. Jacob, the supplanter, the liar, the one that has the character of the devil himself, God still is working with this man. So much so. 
as he's fleeing, he goes and he lays down on a rock. I don't know how that how that works. He lays down on a rock <laughs> as a pillow. And God gives him a dream. God, listen, God, God is so awesome. God gives the men a dream of the Jacob's ladder. You know, the, we are climbing. Jake, you know that song, right? Where angels from earth to heaven, the ladder is connected. And angels are going up and down this ladder. And the ladder, of course, is a representative of Jesus. Again, I don't have time to go through all of that. But that, 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 that dream is given to him not because Jacob has attained to anything. Jacob is sorry for his sin, and God is trying to let him know that there is a ladder. There is a ladder of grace that has been extended. Jacob didn't build that ladder. Why are we calling it Jacob's ladder in the first? I got to think about that. Why do we call it Jacob's ladder? That's not Jacob's ladder. That's God's ladder. <laughs> huh? He didn't make that ladder. God created that ladder, showing him that there is still grace available for him, the supplanter, the liar, the thief. Guilt, brothers and sisters, seeking to overwhelm him. And you know the story. We're going to fast forward mentally past a couple of chapters because there's one part that I want to get to tonight. Jacob ends up at Laban's place. Uncle Laban, and he has daughters. You know the story. He falls in love with Rachel. That's the one he wants to marry. He works seven years because he didn't have no dowry. He works seven years so he can earn the hand of the, the woman that he loves. Laban pulled a Jacob on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Laban said, you know what? Let me do a little switcheroo here. Again, I'm, I try to process these stories because in my mind, I'm like, wait. So... On marriage night, Jacob goes into, he thinks it's Rachel, but it's really Leah, doesn't recognize it till the morning. Like, I'm trying to, how, how, did, how did that work? I don't know. However, he doesn't recognize it till the morning, and it's Leah, and he's like, this is not the woman I wanted to be with. He goes back to Laban, Laban's like, look, man, you know. Look, we just make a deal here. Just work another, you know, six, seven years. You can have Rachel right now, but just work another in order, in order for you to have my daughter. So he works 14 years. Then he works another six years. So it's 20 years he works for Laban. And in that time frame, Laban is changing his pay several times, several times. And each time, Jacob, being the smart guy that he is, has a way to deal with each time Laban's making a, uh, trying to do his thing. Notice, every, all along the way, Jacob is having a struggle. He's having a fight. And every time he's doing this, brothers and sisters, he's solving it his own way. Notice, I want you to keep this in your mind. Jacob is still being successful. God is still blessing him. But I promise you, as he's being blessed, as he's going along the way, these blessings are not the apex of what God is trying to do for this man. He's making it, but it's not the real, it's not the blessing that God really wants to give him yet. And it's interesting that he meets a man just like himself. He meets a man like himself. He meets a supplanter. He meets a liar. He meets the mirror of himself. How many times have you met the mirror of yourself in this world? Somebody you don't like. When you think about it for a second, they just like you. Mm. <laughs> they just like you. you you're like man i don't like the way they talk man they think they know everything that's just that was you you thought you knew everything don't act like you didn't think you knew everything you thought you knew everything they just like you you've met the mirror of yourself and you're realizing you know what i need to be more like jesus because this this person that looks like me man this is not gonna work <laughs> oh they just like me. Begin to realize I need more of Jesus. That's, I mean, you know, it's interesting. As God is walking Jacob through his life, it's just, a, it's just a, a progressive walk of sanctification as God's bringing him through each step, trying to help him go along the way so that he can become more and more and more ready to receive the true birthright. Because that's what he's doing. He's walking him through. He's walking him through. Now, I want to get down to this because time is fleeting. 
And I want to get to the part where chapter 31, chapter 32, let's go to chapter 32. Now watch, brothers and sisters, this is, this is the key. This becomes key to us. In chapter 32, beginning at verse 1, pay close attention. The Bible says, and Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Probably not saying that right, but that's what it says in my Bible right now. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. It's 20 years later now, my friends. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Man, he coming to fight. He's not coming here to be, you know, it's nice to see you, brother. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a long time. Happy Sabbath. No. No. He's coming to wipe you out. He's sending gifts ahead. He's coming to wipe you out. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And said, if Esau come to the one band and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Interesting plan. Notice, notice, Jacob is making plans. Remember, God don't need our help. And Jacob said, oh, my God. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, the Lord, which said us unto me, return into thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. Listen to this. And of all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant, for with my staff I pass over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Listen to the prayer. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children and thou saidest i will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the seed of the sand which cannot be numbered for multitude now i want to pause there with the prayer do you notice notice the structure of his prayer you told me to go home you told me that i was going to be like the sand of the sea you said all these things i confess that i've done wrong I confess that I am not deserving of your mercy. I confess. Do you see the prayer? Do you see the prayer? Do you see the prayer? Do you, do you see any arrogancy in this man right now? I'm going to teach you how to fight. I mean, that's the name of the sermon, right? That's the name of the sermon is fight. I'm going to show you how to fight. How do you fight? Acknowledge your nothingness. Hmm? That's how you fight. You don't go in there and be like, Lord, I, I am a vegan. It's not going to cut it. Father, I've gone to church every Sabbath and Wednesday and on Friday nights at Advent Hope. That's not going to cut it. I fed the poor. I've called out sin. Nope. I am not worthy of thy mercies. I have done wrong. 
Your word said to go. You said you're going to make me prosperous. I'm obeying you. Please help me. That's that prayer. That's the posture. You want to be in fighting posture? You want to, you want to be able to knock somebody out? Humility. You want to overcome your sin? Acknowledge you have a problem. Stop telling folks, I can stop anytime I want. I don't have a problem. No, you got a problem. You say, I go to church. I have nice suits on. Nobody knows I got a pornography problem. You got a problem. You say, it doesn't affect me. I can still preach. No, you got a problem. My wife doesn't know. My husband doesn't. You got a problem. Acknowledge the reality of your condition. For if you cannot acknowledge that you have a problem, heaven cannot help you. He acknowledges his condition. And now God can do something for him. <laughs> so let's pick up the story. Watch this, my friends. Watch the story. I love this part. I love actually all of it, but I love this for sure, for sure. Verse 12, uh, verse, verse, verse 13, and he lodged there, and he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand at present for Esau, his brother, 200 goat, 200 she goats and 20 he goats, 200 ewes and 20 lambs, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she asses, 10 fowls. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, ask thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whether thou goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold also, he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all the and all that followed the droves, saying, "On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him." So he's trying to make restitution by putting all these things before him. All right, look at verse twenty. And say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he, for he, said, "I will appease him with the present that goeth before me." And afterward, I will see his face per adventure. He will accept of me. So he went to present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left. What's it say, my friends? alone. I'm going to stop here for a moment. Some of us don't like being by ourselves. But sometimes you need to be by yourself. Sometimes you need to turn the music off. I'm, I'm, I'm being practical right now. Sometimes you need to turn the music off, turn the TV off, the internet off, turn your friends off. Sometimes you need to be by yourself, you and God, quietly. I'm being practical right now. I'm not trying to be theoretical. I'm saying you really need to be by yourself for a time. I'm not saying forever. Don't, don't become a hermit. I'm not saying that. I am saying you must spend time alone. So you can hear God. He does speak. I know people say he doesn't speak. They be like, that's just, you know, hocus pocus stuff. No, if you're quiet, the Bible says you will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way. Walkie in it. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes school is just too busy. Sometimes, and I'm not even going to say sometimes, 90% of the time, social media probably should just be turned off. Just saying. They feeding us, brothers and sisters. And by beholding, you become changed. So, of course, your anxiety is going to increase because you keep hearing about all this stuff, just turn it off. On the Sabbath especially, just turn it off. Be alone. Now, what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When you're quiet and alone with the Lord, he's going to touch you. 
but you're not going to, sometimes you don't recognize it's him touching you and you're going to fight him. And when you fight him, you're not going to realize it's him that you're fighting because you got to stay with it. Now, let's read the story because this is the key point. Like to me, this is the story of all the part of the story. Watch this now. The Bible says, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled before. When I was younger, I used to wrestle all the time. Okay, so we wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. We don't wrestle till the morning. I mean, four-hour wrestling matches, three, five-hour. When you read the story, you got to think about the story. Like, my man wrestled from night until morning. This had to be a serious fight, man. Physical fight. From morning, I mean, from night until morning. I'm giving it at least four hours. Maybe he was fighting longer than that, okay? But he was fighting, my friends. And he was fighting for a long time. Fighting. <laughs> wrestling. Now, he wasn't wrestling with the ordinary person because the ordinary person won't fight for six hours. So Jacob must have been a strong dude. You feel me? Like, you, I get tired now. If, I, if you were to wrestle me now, I'd probably 30 minutes. Nah. 10 minutes, I'm probably done. Okay? Realistically speaking. <laughs> but if you're fighting for your life and you're fighting for more than an hour, more than two hours, more than three hours, what kind of fight was this? What kind of blows were being sent between the two parties? Are, are you following what I'm saying? Have you ever uh, have you ever play wrestle with a kid before? Like a child? And you're wrestling with the child. The child thinks they're doing so much work because they're doing like, they're like, and you're just like, you're faking like you're wrestling with them. You're like, but you're, it's like, it's not even a competition, but the child thinks it's a competition because you're giving them the idea that it's a competition until the very end when you're just like, and the child's like, whoa, my daddy is stronger than me <laughs> by a gazillion times. <laughs> this is what happened with Jacob as he's wrestling with this angel. Are you, are you ready? Look, look what happens. Look what happens, friends. Look what happens. So it says, he wrestled to the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He just touched him. One touch. Boom. Hollow thigh. Out. At that moment, Jacob said, this is no ordinary person. This is not... This is not an ordinary fight. So let me say this this way. Sometimes the way God touched, the way that we are wrestling, when we're wrestling with our circumstances, we're not realizing that God has put that circumstance there so you can realize that you can't win. And then when he touches you in the midst of that wrestling, that's when you need to stop and say, wait a second. Wait a second. This ain't a regular situation. I can't do this by myself. This is divine. And then Jacob says, I'm not going to let this man go. I'm not going to let this guy go until he blesses me. Now, listen to me. There's somebody listening to me right now who feels like giving up on their Christian walk, that they're this, they're this close to just walking away because they've been hurt by the hypocrisy that is clearly evident, not just in the church, but within themselves. Like, I don't want to fake being a Christian anymore. I don't want to fake this. I, I, I just want to be real. And I got you. I feel you on that. But here, before you do that, I want you to do what Jacob did. I want you to lay hold on a few things I'm going to share with you right now. And I'm going to share with you. I'm going to switch my screen up a little bit. I'm going to come out of here. I'm going to switch my screen up a little bit. I want you to read a couple of things with me. I want you to read a couple of things with me. Look, look here. This is a quote from the book, Great Controversy. It says, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Now listen to what it says. It says, through humiliation. Let me see. Let me put it here. Let me highlight. See that? There we go. Through humiliation, repentance, and self-surrender, this sinful, erring mortal prevailed with the majesty of heaven. He had fastened 
his trembling grasp upon the promises of God and the heart of infinite love could not turn away the sinner's plea. Did you get that? I only want you to read the blue part right now. Through humiliation, repentance, and self-surrender, this sinful, erring mortal prevailed with the majesty of heaven. He had fastened his trembling grasp upon the promises of God, and the heart of infinite love could not turn away from the sinner's plea. Did you get that? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When I when I think about the love of God and how God would not let me go, <laughs> and he should have let me go a long time. But it's beautiful to know that God loves so strongly that he himself says, I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> huh? God himself says that. Yes, we are to say it too, right? I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Father, I take your word and I put it up against you. What does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, is that what it says? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You take that promise, you hold on to that promise, you don't let go until you receive the evidence of that promise. Till the peace of God comes upon you. I will not let you go until you bless me, Father. I confess my sin. I'm a no good rotten scoundrel. And be specific with what you confess. You don't have to confess it to man. Confess to God. Tell God every detail of everything that you know is wrong with you. And then you say, but you said, Father, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's what you said, Father. You put that back on him. The Bible says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and power, dominion forever and ever. Amen. You put that on him. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally in a braid of knot, and it will be given. You put that promise on God. You put it on him, and you say, I will not let that promise go until you fulfill that promise in my life. You see, brothers and sisters, listen, listen. Some of us are giving up our promises for a bowl of lentils. Hmm? We're giving up our promises for some some cheap sex. We're giving up some promises for some time to watch some TV. We're giving up our promises. We, we're giving up the covenant that God has given us for some temporary, non-satisfactory, no good craziness that's going down on this planet. Brothers and sisters, God has promised us immensely more than what we can imagine or think. And we need to claim those promises, brothers and sisters. You need to fight. You need to fight for your Christianity. You need to fight for your salvation. Don't give up right now. We're too close to the end. Don't be like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just going to be a hypocrite until Jesus comes. Jesus is just going to save me. No, he's not going to save you while you're practicing known sin. No, he's not going to save you in that. You need to claim the promise and hold on to Jesus. He says, he will give you victory. He says he will forgive whatever the sin is. It doesn't matter what it is. He said that. He promised that. You put it on him. And I promise you, my friends, he's never let me down. And I, he, I know he won't let you down. I, I have something else to share with you. I have something else to share with you. Look at this. Look at this. Listen, brothers, I'm going to read this whole thing. I'm going to read this whole thing. Listen to this. It says, if Satan sees that he is in danger of losing one soul, he will exert himself to the utmost to keep that one. And when the individual is aroused to his danger, now, brothers and sisters, tonight, some of you are aroused to the reality of your danger. Sin will kill you. 
And I don't need to name every sin for you to know what your sin is. And it says, and when the individual is aroused from his danger and with distress and fervor looks to Jesus for strength, Satan fears that he will lose a captive. Huh? I need him to be afraid. Satan fears that he will lose a captive. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Satan fears that he will lose a captive. And he calls a reinforcement of his angels to hedge in the poor soul and form a wall of darkness around him that heaven's light may not reach him. But if the one in danger, listen, friends, you got to hear this. But if the one in danger perseveres, fight, brothers and sisters, and in his helplessness, cast himself upon the merits of the blood of Christ, our Savior listens to the earnest prayer of faith and sends reinforcement of those angels that excel in strength to deliver him. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before his strength and majesty. At the sound, listen to this, at the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. He continues to call legions of evil angels to accomplish his object. And when angels, all powerful, clothed with the army of heaven, come to the help of the fainting, pursued soul, Satan and his hosts fall back, well knowing that their battle is lost. The willing subjects of Satan are faithful. The willing subjects of Satan are faithful, active, and united in one object. And although they hate and war with one another, Yet they improve every opportunity to invest their common interests. But the great commander in heaven and earth has limited Satan's power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hold on. Y'all got to see my face while I'm saying these words. You don't understand. Do, do you understand? God is so good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The sincere believer who gets on his knees, all the angels start, all the evil angels shaking in their boots. They don't know what to do with that. They call reinforce. They can't do anything. God, listen, one more. This is the last one I want to share. The last quote I want to share, because I know some folks don't like reading the prophet, but it's okay. We're going to let you off the hook for a moment. But watch this. Watch this. Watch this. One more. I got one more for you. Watch this. Watch this. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible. Now, somebody tell me what that word invincible means. That means it cannot be conquered. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness. That's why I said you have to acknowledge your condition. You got to come to a place where there's nothing good in you. I have nothing to offer God. I have no good word. Father, I've done this. I've No, none of that. There's nothing good in me. When that person comes to play, watch this. The soul that feels this nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. Watch this. God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one rather than allow him to be overcome. I say him or her. Him is just a generic term, right? God was in every angel, brothers and sisters. There's nothing more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels his nothingness. Now, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret. You may not get this, but in the story, it's clear. But I'm going to reemphasize it. There's no way to feel your nothingness until you wrestle with the angel. Listen, there's no way to feel your nothingness until you have wrestled with the angel. And that wrestling is symbolized in prayer. But reality is prayer is communion with the most high communion with Christ. So as you're in fellowship with something bigger than you and more powerful than you and more righteous than you, then you recognize that you're nothing. 
But the more you compare yourselves amongst yourselves, you're always going to think, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a, I don't do that. I don't drink. I don't smoke. So what? So what? I, I go to church on the I don't care what day you go to church on. Nothingness, brothers and sisters. I have no goodness in me. There is no goodness in you. There is only one good. There's only one righteous. And the recognition of his righteousness humbles us to the place where now my name can be changed from Jacob to overcomer. Huh? And then you go to the book of Revelation, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. Well, how do you become an overcomer? Stay in the presence of the Most High. Claim the promise. Don't let go until he blesses you. Huh? Don't let go. Fight. Fight. If that means you have to stay up four hours, five hours wrestling with God, fight. If it hurts, it's okay. Normally fighting does cause pain, especially if you fight someone stronger than you. Fight. The story ends. In verse 28, he said, thy name, oh, actually, actually, before I get to verse 28, he says in verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, supplanter, liar. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Come on now. For as, the, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Can you imagine that? He initially is afraid of Esau. But if you stand in the presence of the Most High, who do you fear on this planet? No, you can't fear man. If I fight with God, I wrestle with God, then I go fight somebody, human being. I, listen, I remember one time, I, I can't give you the details because the person and I are very good friends now, but this person was a bully. Always just bullying me, man. I'll never forget it. And one time, this guy was up in my face, just like, like in my, like right here. And I, for the, and I was very, before all these other times, the bully was always, I always was shook. But this time I said, you know what? If I'm going to, if I'm going to die, you might as well kill me right now. So I was like, look, if you're going to hit me, hit me. Otherwise, if you're not going to hit me, you need to back up. <laughs> I remember that clearly. And the person backed up. From that point, I was not afraid of anybody else because to me, that was the big bad wolf. You know what I'm saying? That was the that was the 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 enemy of all enemies. But that person, not one of my best friends. And I thought to myself, in this story, can you imagine standing before the God of the universe, wrestling with the God of the universe, dealing with all your guilt, shame, sorrow, frustration, and then that God of the universe relieves you from that burden, relieves you from that pain, so now you can stand before any man, any woman, and testify to the goodness and the graciousness and the power of God. Yeah, brothers and sisters, you would never know, you would never know that I was an introvert. We would never know it. You'd be like, oh, that brother, he seems so sanguine. He seems so comfortable in himself. Yeah, I'm an introvert. But you know, what happens when God takes a hold of you when you, when you experience the grace of God in your life, you can't be quiet. You can't keep that to yourself. It's too good. And what I'm talking to you about is not theory, brothers and sisters. When I wrestle with God, that's real wrestling, man. It doesn't always feel good. I don't like being exposed. But when it's all said and done, he takes away that guilt. He takes away that shame. And he gives you peace. Do you want peace? Do you recognize your nothingness this evening?
God desires you. He longs for you. Tonight, you know, I'm 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 just thinking tonight if you are willing to accept the call of God in your heart. You can type it in the chat. You can put it on Facebook. Just, just type in, I accept. I accept it. I accept God's call on me. I accept his forgiveness on me. I accept his covenant on me. I will not let go. I will fight until he blesses me. If that's your desire, why don't you bow your heads with me as we close with a prayer of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy, for the opportunity that we've had this evening to open the word. We don't deserve it. The extension of your grace, the technology that allows us to connect, we don't deserve it. But you're so good. I ask right now, Father, that you bless each one that will hear, that has heard. Those who have said they will not let go unless you bless them, Father, please. Do for them what they can never do for themselves. Have them experience the peace that passes all understanding, Lord. Please. We love you, Father. We ask that you teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.